If you have a Bible, you can open to Exodus chapter 20. The text is also printed in the bulletin for you. So we'll look at the first three verses this morning. Uh, Let me pray and then we'll read the scripture. Father, we ask for your help as we consider your word. You have given us your word by your Holy Spirit, and so we pray for his help that he would come and fill our hearts and renew our minds, give us ears to hear and eyes to see you in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, so Ten Commandments. When you, um, when you think of the Ten Commandments, just in general, uh, which of them kind of uh, stand out prominently in your mind? Which of them do you give the most attention? Or uh, which of them do you find the most difficult or the most demanding? Which of them seem most representative of the list as a whole? So if you're like me, um, then you probably gravitate in your thoughts toward the later commandments, actually, um, that list the specific behaviors, the ones about murder and adultery, stealing, lying, coveting. Those, those commandments, for some reason, seem uh, pretty concrete and, and pretty practical. There's something about the concrete nature of them that captures our attention and makes us... Um, they just make more sense to us as an expression of God's moral law, right? Um, but really, this first commandment is the one. This first commandment is the commandment. It's, it's the most prominent. It's the most representative. It's the most difficult and demanding of all of the Ten Commandments. All of the other commandments flow out of this one. This, this one has organizing priority, in the list. This, this commandment is the key to all the others. If you could truly keep this commandment, then you would keep them all. And anytime you break any of the others, you are breaking this one. Uh, you can't break any other commandment without breaking this one. The essence of true holiness, the essence of true obedience to God, is keeping the first commandment and all sin is breaking the first commandment. And that starts to make uh, sense as you become convinced that all of life, as God originally intended it, all of life is meant to be lived unto God and that then all sin is a direct personal offense to God. So the Bible tells us that, um, that God, Yahweh, the Lord, the true and living God, has existed from eternity past as one God in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Uh, And before God made anything, the Bible says that the Father loved the Son and shared his glory with him. The Father loved and delighted in the Son, and uh, the Son loved and delighted in the Father. Before there was anything else, there was perfect relationship, divine, joyful, eternal relationship. So the, the very being of God, the Bible uh, 
explains for us, is being in relationship. And that's why John says in his first epistle that God is love. And all of his actions flow out of that harmonious love. Um, Kind of the first major one being creation, right? Creation, the whole universe, this world, everything that exists was made as an expression of the love and the delight shared by the Father and the Son for each other, right? So God created all things not to get something for himself that he didn't already have, but to be able to give like he'd never had before, Um, to give himself, to share divine love with his creatures, and to have those creatures then reflect that love and participate in that love, right? So Paul says in Romans chapter 11, from him... And through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. So the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit stand at the center of the universe. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the source, the perfect, the, uh, the, the per, uh, purpose, and the goal of all things, including um, our source and our goal, right, and our purpose including you and me. So he is God. He is the only God. There is no other God. Anything else that goes by that label is false and is totally unlike him. There is no other God like him. And we don't just uh, survey the cafeteria of the world's religions and gods and uh, pick the one that seems best to us, the one that kind of works for me. That's not... What we're doing, there is only one true and living God. And if you're going to have anything to do with God, with the divine, then you're going to have to do with him. <laughs> right? You're going to have to deal with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you want to have a philosophical debate about that, then stick around for a sermon discussion afterwards. Sunday, Sunday school, we're not going to get into that now, how there's only one God and the exclusivity of those truth claims. Uh, the point that I want to make here is that the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by virtue of being who he is, and by virtue of having made all things for his own purpose, the purpose of love, the triune God has a claim on you that your life should be lived entirely and only unto him as God. Uh, That claim on your life is what stands behind the first commandment, that you shall have no other gods before me, he says. It's the fundamental claim of reality. All creation exists to be uh, given to him. The fundamental claim on all creatures as created by God that we belong to him. We were made to have him as our God. And this commandment is uh, rephrased in a few places in the scriptures, uh, a few places where the commandments are summarized, most famously in our gospel reading, uh, where Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6 and says, you shall love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. All of the law and prophets hang on this, right? This is the centerpiece of all the law. That is, your whole being is to be utterly and lovingly devoted to God. He demands your exclusive loyalty. 
He demands your exclusive allegiance, faithfulness. He's to be your ultimate life's pursuit. He's to be the only object of your worship. Uh, Luther's small catechism puts it this way uh, about the first commandment. We must fear, love, and trust God more than anything else. Uh, The New City Catechism, uh, question nine, which we've been going through in our uh, confession of faith, um, says, what does God require in the first commandment? That we know and trust God as the only true and living God. So uh, John Frame says about this commandment that it, it teaches us to avoid placing anything other than the true God ahead of him in our thoughts, actions, and affections. The forbidding of literal polytheism is the narrow meaning of this command. The forbidding of any competition at all with the true God for our allegiance, obedience, and affection is the broader meaning. So broadly, this commandment means there is to be no competition with God in our hearts and in our minds for our allegiance and our obedience and our affection. So this commandment is uh, demanding, isn't it? It demands your very soul and all of it, all of the time, uh, not just a few external behaviors now and then. So how are you doing with that? I mean, I, it's the hardest commandment to keep, isn't it? You'd think that the simple reality of the situation, the fact that God is who he is and that he made all things for the reason that he did, the simple reality of the situation would be enough motivation to keep the first commandment. If it's true that the triune God of the Bible really is God and he's the only God, then um, it shouldn't be that hard to acknowledge him as our only God. Okay, no other gods before you. Makes sense, right? I actually had a friend in college who um, grew up in the church, pretty good guy. Everybody here would probably like him. Insisted that he had kept all the Ten Commandments for his whole life, including this one. Uh, but I think the more that you read the Bible, <clears throat> the more um, that you understand what this commandment means, and the more that you come to know yourself, the more you realize that this is, in fact, the most difficult commandment to keep in any true or meaningful kind of way. Um, we're to live our lives unto him, and him alone is our greatest joy, is our greatest love. Yet we constantly replace him in our hearts, day and night. John Calvin called the human heart an idol factory. We're constantly churning out, generating false gods to give our allegiance to, giving our affections and our time and our energy and attention to things that are not God. Tim Keller says in the, the quote that's in the beginning of the bulletin there for your reflection, It's a quote from uh, his book called Counterfeit Gods, which is about just this very topic. Um, He says that a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning then I'll know I have value, then I'll feel significant and secure. And the the scary thing is that we just do this automatically, 
all the time without even thinking about it, really. Uh, we trade the glory of the eternal triune God of love, our creator, for the lies and emptiness and death of idols, of false gods, and we do it casually, right? automatically. Um, and sometimes it is by just straight up worshiping gods of other religions, right? false religions, Buddhism, or Hinduism, or whatever it may be. But more frequently, actually more frequently, much more frequently, we break the first commandment by living unto our own comforts, our own security, our own acceptance with other people. John Frame says that people who would never dream of bowing down in an idol's temple put other things ahead of God in their lives. So people who don't think of themselves as religious atheists are constantly giving their hearts to false gods, putting other things ahead of God in our lives. It could be that we really want control and security in our lives, so we give our souls to the pursuit of a big bank account. Or we could, uh, it could be that we really want pleasure and approval, so we put romantic love on that divine pedestal in our hearts. Or maybe we want to achieve lasting significance. So we overprotect and shape our children to shine in our own image, at least the way that we imagine our own image. Right. God made us to be worshipers, which is a way of saying that God made us to find all of our needs met in him to find all relational connections, all meaning, all value and significance and security in him. And we all worship something, whether you call it that or not, whether you're religious or an atheist, <clears throat> we all look for ultimate spiritual fulfillment in what we love most, in what we would be devastated to lose. And so either you worship the one true God, or you spurn his love and worship a false god. The Bible does not leave us any other option. And um, Jeremiah 2, the prophet, says something that we actually frequently look at in our confession of sin. God says there, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So God, uh, because of who he is, the triune God who just gives love and life to everything that exists, uh, a fountain is a perfect picture of who God is. And instead of drinking at that fountain, we've created for ourselves little dusty bowls in the ground that are cracked, that if any little water existed in them, would seep out of them immediately and we'd lick and we lap at the dry, dusty cisterns instead of the fountain of living waters, right? That's the picture that God gives us in the Scripture. So sin is not just a behavior problem, right? It's not, um, I think it might be if, if uh, the Ten Commandments uh, only consisted of those later commandments that list those practical behaviors, right? Uh, it's not just a behavior problem. It's a heart problem. It's a worship problem. 
problem. Sin is a worship problem, ultimately. Uh, John Frame says, all sin is disloyalty to God. All sin is putting something else before him. So all sin is a breaking of the first commandment. And so idolatry, idolatry is the struggle of your life. Worshiping false gods is the struggle of our lives. So where's your worship problem? Is it elevating material comforts? Education? Children? A higher place in your company? More esteem in the church? If you need some help discerning where, uh, what your false gods are, uh, come and talk to me. And I promise I'll lead off with a few of my own. But these things, these things might be good things, but they make bad gods, right? These things did not create you out of love. These things can't bear the weight of your immortal soul. These things usually can't even come through in the short run. And these things certainly didn't lay their lives down for you, for relationship and love, right? And worse than the fact that our idols just don't really work as gods, as things to find our ultimate spiritual fulfillment and happiness and joy and delight in, worse than the fact that they just don't work is what they say then about our relationship to the one true God. Because when we turn our hearts to idols, to false gods, we forsake, we reject the fountain of living waters. Yahweh did make us for love and for joy. He made us for himself, and it is a terrible personal affront to him when we have other gods. Because the commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. Literally, uh, before me means before my face. So the concept is that God, who sees and knows your heart, is a constant witness to your faithlessness, to our trysts with other gods. John Calvin says it this way, this is like a shameless woman who brings in an adulterer before her husband's very eyes only to vex his mind the more. That's where the real tragedy is in our breaking of the first commandment. The father loves the son. The son loves the father. They created us to be caught up in that eternal ecstatic love. And we say, no, I don't think you're worth it. I'd rather give my deepest love to a new television. I'd rather find my fulfillment in my name engraved on a plastic plaque. I prefer the pleasure of a computer screen at midnight. I find real glory in my imagination of my own reputation. And God hears that loud and clear. He sees it in your heart, and he knows it. And he keeps coming towards you anyway. Even though every single person who's ever lived has broken 
the first commandment day and night, scorned God's holy love, and deserves to be cast into the outer darkness for spiritual adultery. The one true God, whose very being is self-giving love, gives himself for you in love. Out of love, the Father sent the Son into the world, Jesus Christ, to give himself for you. Jesus kept the first commandment perfectly. He only ever gave his heart to the Father, his full allegiance and his unfaltering devotion, his whole life and his whole soul was given, lived unto God his Father, which is what you and I were made to do, but we refused to do. And even though we've thrown away our relationship with God, Jesus came into the world and he gave himself to get it back, to give us his own status, his own place in relationship with God. He was treated as the idolater in our place so that we could be accepted as the loyal children in his place. And only by faith in Jesus Christ can you be united to God again, caught up in that eternal love for which God made you. And when that happens, you are renewed to be able to worship him rightly. You are made able to love him and honor him as your God and keep the first commandment to some small degree, to some growing degree. We keep the first commandment to have no gods but Yahweh. When we worship Christ, because Christ is Yahweh, Christ is God the Son, we worship God through him, we worship God in his name, when we come together like this on Sunday mornings, in his name, when we sing and pray, when we listen to his word and come to his table, when we live transformed lives with renewed hearts and minds, we worship him. And when we do what he says, we worship him. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that starts with the first one. So put your faith in Christ and have the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as your God and no other. Amen. Let's pray. Father, if this um, commandment is going to be kept by us uh, to any small degree or to any growing degree, It truly has to be because of a work of your Spirit. And so we trust that your Spirit is catching us up into a a loving relationship with you through Christ the Son. And we, we want to think of that relationship more frequently. We want it to shape more of the way that we think and speak and act. We want that relationship with you, having you as our God and no other, to define more about our lives because we want to worship you. That's what we do with gods is we worship. And you have told us that we worship and we glorify you by loving you and doing what you say. And so we pray that you would work that into our hearts uh, by your spirit and through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.